Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. And for the Christmas season, we have a special show today entitled A Beginner's Guide to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Christmas is about Jesus. It's not about a lot of other things that tend to go with the holiday. So we want to focus on Jesus. And today, this show is a beginner's guide to basically learning more about Jesus and coming to believe in him. So if you have to be driving in your car and you're not even a Christian or you've really been away all your adult life from a involvement in a church, you tuned into the right station today. And maybe you're a Protestant and find yourself listening to a Catholic station and you think, well, I'm interested to hear what the Catholics have to say about the gospel of Jesus. And if you're a Catholic, I think you're going to hear some things today that will sharpen your belief. So let's dig right in. And what I'm going to suggest as a beginner's guide and some beginner's steps to the knowing the gospel of Jesus is that you simply focus on two books of the New Testament. Many people think, well, I'm going to start reading the Bible and in, at the very beginning, and it's wonderful to do, Genesis is interesting, Exodus is interesting, the first dozen or so chapters, and then you find very detailed plans for the construction of this tabernacle, this worship center in the Old Testament, and then you find it goes through all the instructions a second time, and about then you're about ready to quit your Bible reading. Instead, start in the New Testament, which is a little bit more than three-quarters of the way through the Bible. And when you get to the New Testament, my suggestion, just to keep it simple for beginners, is to start with the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mark. Uh, both are great places, and I recommend reading both because they take a little different perspective on highlighting Jesus. So today we're going to make some notes available for listeners. If you want to do a personal Bible study, kind of follow up on this. If you're a catechist, you're a parent, you lead a Bible study group for uh, teens or women's group, you want the notes, just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com, and you can help us out a lot by saying notes for episode 316. Again, askthehost at gmail.com, episode 316. Let's dig in. Let's first talk about the gospel. And Mark chapter 1, verse 1 just knocks it right out of the park. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I'm going to share something that might shake up some of our evangelical Protestant friends, and maybe some others too, but here it is. The gospel is about thee. It is not about me. So often, people will say, well, I gave a gospel presentation, and it goes something like, well, I'm a sinner, and Jesus died to forgive me, and if I believe in him, he'll grant me eternal life. Now, we just read Mark 1.1, and it doesn't say the beginning of the gospel of me. 
Everything I said revolved around me. Now, all of those things are true. I'm not trying to deny those things. But the essence of the gospel, it's a formal announcement, is Jesus. He is the focus, not me. And when we share the gospel, the more we focus on Jesus, Jesus, there's a way where the Holy Spirit takes that proclamation and draws people to him. As you lift him up, people are drawn to him. So the gospel is about thee. It's about God. It's not about me. Now, there's another question that uh, actually I saw this question asked by a Protestant theologian, and his question went like this. Do the gospels teach the gospel? So often, People say, well, I gave a gospel presentation and gave some verses from, say, Paul's letter to the Romans. Well, that's great, and the gospel is in there, but what about the gospels themselves? Because a lot of what we talk about presentations of the gospel, we don't find in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They focus on Jesus and that's what we should be doing. Now, what is a gospel? What what does a proclamation of the gospel entail? Well, the gospel means a proclamation of good news. And if you were living in the first century in the Roman Empire when the four gospels were written, everybody would have known what this Greek word behind the English word gospel meant. It was an official announcement of a king or a great leader of some sort. For instance, the birth of Caesar Augustus was announced as good news for the world, a gospel for the world. It was an announcement of a great king. And we read further on in the Gospel of Mark down about verse 14, the first chapter. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel has something immediately to do with Jesus and the kingdom of God. Everybody in the Roman Empire would have known about a gospel royal proclamation regarding Caesar, but now we're talking about somebody who is, in fact, greater than Caesar, and the time is at hand. This is something promised way back in the Old Testament, and now it's time, and so the time has come for Jesus as king. And this notion of the gospel, the Christian knowledge of a gospel, not Caesar Augustus, but of Jesus, comes from the Old Testament, Isaiah 52, where it says in verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, at the essence of the gospel is a message about King Jesus. 
We tend to kind of uh, flip that and say, no, the essence of it is how Jesus saves me. And we tend to forget about what happened in the first century was a proclamation of King Jesus that resulted in salvation of so many people. And this is a very tough concept if you're living in the United States, because, you know, we basically formed a nation because we wanted to kick anything to do with a king out of our midst. And so even culturally, our worldview, our whole concept of things isn't really oriented around a king except one. When you don't have a king in your life or in your country, something happens, which has happened in the United States, is that the individual self has become dominant. And I was thinking of a song that would basically uh, summarize this. I'm thinking, Bing Crosby, I did it my way. That's the American way. And doing it your way or saying it's all about you, the famous advertising uh, phrase which is used, or do your own thing, that's the whole idea that I'm ruling and reigning over my own life. I determine my fate. I determine my course. I determine uh, my morals. And remember, when Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God is at hand, he says, repent. Repent is very easy. You're driving down the road. You realize you're going the wrong way. If there's no traffic coming, you do a 180. And that's what repent means. You quit going doing it your own way, doing your own thing, and thinking that the whole world is all about you, and you turn, and you make God, Jesus the King, the center of your life, the center of your family life, the center of your sports life, the center of your business life. See, if he's king over all, then he should influence all. He should influence your country. He should influence the whole world, and you seek to extend the reign of Jesus Christ. So, just a quick review. The gospel is about Jesus, and Jesus is king, and since I repent, I realize I'm not, okay? Now, let's get going here. Number two, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. John, the very first verse says this, in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Jesus, at the very beginning of all things, existed. He pre-existed. He was with God, and he is fully God. And a little later on in the Gospel of John, some people were basically uh, uh, opposing Jesus, and they asked him in John chapter 8 and verse 53, they asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? And these were Jewish people, and of course, Abraham was, you know, the father of all the Jewish people, okay? So he said, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And they say, well, who do you claim to be? And Jesus answered in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, 
before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> okay, let's, let's wrap our minds around this. Abraham lived about 2000 BC, and Jesus is saying, before Abraham was even born, he was the great I am. And this is, the I am is a very potent way of saying he is God. When uh, Judas Iscariot and the Roman soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus in John 18, Jesus said in verse 4, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus said to them, I am. It says in, in English, I am he, but the original Greek is real clear. He simply said, I am. And when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Do you realize that? They're coming to arrest Jesus. Okay, He has no sword or anything like that, and he's not doing a karate kick or anything like that. And here comes soldiers, strong Roman soldiers, probably with all their gear on and weapons, and all Jesus says is, I am. The same one who said before Abraham was, I am, and these soldiers draw back and fall to the ground. Well, all this comes from the Old Testament. Back in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, Moses said to God, uh, if the people come to me and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they will ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The very God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the very God who was in existence long, 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 long before Abraham was even born, 2000 BC, eternally existent is Jesus Christ, God. Okay, that was number two. Jesus is God, and it's essential to believe in that. And remember, the gospel is focusing on Jesus. Number three, Jesus became a man, but he didn't cease being a God. This is where the Christmas miracle stares us in the face, and it's really, if you're having a hard time comprehending this, good, because you have it right. In that cradle, was the second person of the Trinity. And I'm not going to explain all about the Trinity, but just, you know, in that first verse of the Gospel of John, it says, and the Word, Jesus, was with God. He's talking about God the Father. And there's also the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, but there's three persons in one God. And Jesus became a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. Full of grace and truth, we beheld his glory. The word became flesh. Now, Jesus wasn't kind of a half God or half man, or Jesus wasn't fully God like before he was born at Christmas, the first Christmas and then became man and somehow became God again. No, at, at the incarnation, when the word became flesh, for all eternity future, 
the second person of Trinity, Jesus Christ, was fully God, joined to human flesh, and he was fully human and fully God at the same time. And Jesus became a man without ceasing to be God. All right? Now, this is something that's denied even in Christian schools today, which boggles the mind, but let's just get it. It's number four, that Jesus is the creator. Now, all members of the Trinity were involved in the creation of the world, but let's go back to the Gospel of John again, the very beginning. It says in verse two, he, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, almost everybody at some point in their life goes through some very difficult times. Some people, good people, can go through life and have difficult times almost throughout their life. And it's very easy in those times to think that you're all alone. You're on this globe called the earth, and you're just slugging it out by yourself. So what's the big deal with believing that Jesus is the creator? Um, Didn't just some automatic processes, uh, maybe God set in motion way back when millions or billions of years ago and it's kind of like watching everything from a very distant heaven? No, that's not what the Bible is saying. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now listen, this means he made you. He made you, and not on an assembly line like Henry Ford kind of came up with. No, he made you. There's no one else just like you. He has a purpose for you. He's your creator. And this is important to know because as the creator, the other part of what Jesus is in our lives is the redeemer. And he redeems those he created. You don't want to separate those. And, you know, you are not an accident. You were made on purpose. And so now we're prepared to start getting personal. Remember, the gospel is about Jesus. And I said, all the things that Jesus does for us is a part of the gospel, but the focus is on him. So this is now number five after Jesus is our creator, number four. Number five, Jesus came so that you can become a child of God. It says in John chapter one, verse 12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. In other words, um, this is the greatest restart, restart for a human being. 
is that you, Jesus can make really a new you. Uh, we are born struggling with the results of Adam and Eve's sin, and Jesus came to enable us to re-enter a union with him that we become his children. Now, this isn't just some like, uh, what, metaphor that's just kind of like nice for a greeting card or something. The whole idea of a family, which is so important to people, and people who haven't had a good family know how important that is. Maybe a little bit more of appreciation those who have had good families. But nonetheless, those earthly families are simply a springboard to help us understand that there's another primary family of which earthly families are, are really just a reflection of. And that family is to be in union with God. And this is a real deal. That means a creator of the universe wants you to be his child. And just as uh, I would do anything if my children were in need, he would do that for you. And so we are able, if you're receiving Jesus, believing in Jesus, believing in his name, he gives you the power to become the children of God. Now, the question should arise, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> How does this how does this happen? Okay, and there's talks about being born, not of blood or the will of the flesh. In other words, it's it's not being born naturally, but supernaturally. How are you born of God? Two words, faith and baptism. And you don't have to turn very far, just to John chapter 3, which Jesus says in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is truly, truly means pay a lot of attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, who was a Jewish leader, said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born of water and the Spirit, uh, trust me on this, this is talking about baptism. If you go back to the earliest uses of John chapter 3, you find being born of the water and the Spirit was used consistently from the earliest days of Christianity to refer to baptism. See, a baptism in just a photographic event, those waters of baptism, the priest or deacon is praying for the Holy Spirit to become present in that sacrament, and truly, you are born anew. You're born again. You're born into God's family. You're born as a child of God. This is absolutely wonderful. And depending on if you're a child, an infant, or an adult, uh, faith has to be present. Even either those who are sponsoring that child, if the child isn't old enough to express faith him or herself, or an adult, an adult would have to express faith. And for faith, we have the 
probably the most uh, loved verse in the entire Bible in the same chapter. John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believes simply means has faith. If you have faith, believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? So that's five. Jesus came so that you can become a child of God through faith and baptism. Uh, two more. I've got two minutes, so let's go. Number six, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus went to the cross for his lost sheep. And Jesus says in John 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And this is why I recommend digging into the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mark, reading these, because you're going to hear the shepherd's voice and as Jesus is lifted up in these scriptures, you will find something arising in your heart called faith, and then you link up with the good shepherd. And then number seven, this is my favorite, so I've saved it for last, Jesus saves sinners. This is from John chapter 8. In the first 11 verses of John 8, there was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And the religious leaders bring her and throw her at the feet of Jesus and says, well, Moses said she's supposed to be stoned to death for committing adultery. What do you say? Of course, these are the biggest religious hypocrites that probably ever lived. Because, think for a moment, caught in the act of adultery. Moses's punishment was for both the man and the woman committing adultery, you need a man and a woman to commit adultery, would be stoned. They just grabbed this woman and threw her down. She's just ripped out, thrown at the feet of Jesus, and of course, he forgives her. And he says, go and sin no more. And then Jesus says, the next verse, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, that verse is where the Good Shepherd spoke to me for the first time, really broke through my crusty life and found that Jesus is the light of the world, and it wasn't an experience. It was a person. It was a Good Shepherd. It was God himself who I wanted to follow the rest of my life, and I hope you do too. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 316 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.